now the time's going. Welcome, listeners. I am your host, Michael Anthony Suarez. We are the Office of Student Affairs and Services, and today our guest is Mark Petishnok. He is the Director of the Counseling and Psychiatric Services. Mark, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role? I think I may have gotten that a little bit confused. If you can clarify, that would be great. Sure. So a little bit about me. So I am very lucky to be the inaugural director of Counseling and Psychiatric Services, our our CAPS, as most people have come to call it. Um, And so what that means is that I've given the opportunity to kind of oversee this new experiment, really, which is the idea of bringing the past counseling center at Michigan State together with the psychiatric clinic that had previously existed in student health um, and do a combined co-collaborative mental health unit where students can come and get their needs met. And so recently I have experience working in collegiate mental health at several different universities, which includes Penn State, uh, the University of Illinois, uh, Virginia Tech, where I was a suicide prevention coordinator, and then most recently in Augusta, Georgia at Augusta University, which in itself was a unique place um, that merged a health sciences university with a regional university. And I left Virginia Tech to go there um, to kind of build a counseling center um, from from where it hadn't existed before into where it is today. And so that's kind of what drew me to Michigan State was this opportunity, again, for a transformation opportunity to kind of um, help to lead collegiate mental health care here at MSU. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I'm so glad that you chose, you know, to come to MSU and, and do this. I noticed when I was doing research that it's, it's CAPS and it's the Counseling and Psychi- Psychiatric Services. Can you tell me why they decided to merge that or right. why was it important to do that? Right. So I think the call to do that formally came in 2016 from the president, the provost and the vice president of student affairs, Dr. Maybank. And the idea was to really listen to students. Uh, my understanding, reviewing the past articles from the State News and the Tab and all these other places, was that students really wanted to have a single entry point where they could get all their mental health needs met, and they wanted more services and better services and collaborative services. And so um, essentially there was a working group at MSU that was put together as led by this initiative from the administration and from the call from students. Um, and we brought in, um, in 2016, Killing and Associates, which is a national search firm that really specializes in collegiate health services and how to structure and organize them and how to meet the best standards of practice. And so as a result of that working group at MSU collaborating with Killing Associates, this final um, report came out. And one of the recommendations was to merge the counseling center, which has existed previously, independent from the psychiatry services, into one unit. Um, and to hire an inaugural director and to really figure out how we integrate these two departments to one to make sure that students have a one-stop shop, so to speak, to get the mental health needs done on campus. That's great. That's very interesting. I, if you could help me understand, like, what is the, the biggest difference between those two? Like the CI, the psychi, psych. I can't even pronounce yeah, psychiatric. The word. So yeah, so, yes. So no, no. It's 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 it's, it's you're quite okay. So it's uh, tongue twister. Sometimes over here. I get it mixed up as well because uh, CAP said it like, for example, at, at University of Michigan and Penn State, um, the P stands for psychological. So CAPS isn't always clear what it is. So here it's psychiatric services that reflect that that integration. <laughs> so I kind of think of the counseling center as the place where you go to meet with a psychologist or a counselor or a clinical social worker who is really trained to do therapy, to have talk-based forms of intervention, uh, kind of the idea that you go, you know, I'm just go seeing a counselor or a therapist. It's that kind of thing. Um, and then the psychiatric services, that is more focused on medication. They do some, they do assessment, they do evaluations, they do some social work, 
which is ongoing therapy as well. But primarily, it was where you went for medication, and the counseling center is where you went for counseling for the same diagnosis, for the same concern. And so the idea is that if you merge them into one center, we can have a psychiatrist that shares you know, a wall with a counselor next door, and they can collaborate in the hallway, and they can transfer care easier, and that there's kind of a one medical record, so to speak, in which students are getting their care. And that's the idea. Awesome. Thank you. That Now that makes sense to me. And I remember that when I was an undergrad, the counseling center was in the student services building. And now you all actually have merged and are all at the Olin Center. Yeah. So it's um, so one of the things that happened was that the Olin Health Center, historically one of the oldest buildings on campus, it used to be, um, I believe, it a hospital. Um, and my office, uniquely, I think, was the live-in nurse um, from like 80 years ago. It was like the little apartment. And so... Um, so yeah, so CAP's main location is now on the third floor of Olin Health Center, which is a pretty cool location right off of Grand River Avenue, right across from the student bookstore there. Um, and we're the entire third floor. And if you walk around, we have social workers, counselors, psychologists, nurses, psychiatrists, all in that one floor. Um, and we have our own check-in and reception and we're our own independent department within the student health and wellness network that is a larger network of other resources that include um, primary care services and traditional medical services, um, health promotion, which includes things like fitness services and nutrition services, the sexual assault program, safe place, domestic violence and stalking services. And so that's part of organizationally a larger network. Within Olin, the first two floors is more the medical services, the third floor is CAPS. And then recently... <laughs> Um, we've been able to actually expand into the third floor of the union. So we actually have a satellite location right now where we have a couple psychologists, a couple counselors, um, a psychiatrist, and a psychiatric nurse practitioner that actually work over there. We have group therapy rooms over there, a reception, check-in. And so it was essentially a way to us not only to be able to house the additional clinicians that we were able to hire recently, um, but also to be in a location where students naturally gather, you know, to go to them, to not make them walk into a clinical setting. And our hope is that uh, students, well, some students anyways, might feel more comfortable being in a setting like that to get the care they need. That's excellent. And I think that it's a very, it's a, it was a great idea to do because, like you said, it's right on Grand River. It's right close to the union. It's kind of right where there's a lot of traffic with students, with classes. And it's so it's an excellent location. Yeah, I think so, too. <clears throat> Sweet. So I was also thinking about how you said there's, you know, you guys are in charge of, or you have the whole third floor. How many counselors are there how many psycho like psychological or psychologists is there too like i don't know any the exact number but is is i know yeah. that there's fifty thousand students so That's right. how do you try to cater to this huge population well welcome to my everyday job <laughs> uh, that's, what, that's what we're trying to answer right because it's really a balance of so one of the most unique things about working at caps of michigan state or really collegiate mental health in general is that it's almost like any other healthcare setting in that we have a responsibility for a finite population. There's exactly 50,019 students, at least based upon last year's enrollment, that we have a responsibility to and that have eligibility to come in. That is unlike a hospital or a VA or an outpatient clinic where they can essentially just serve who they're able to serve. No, we have to serve the student body. And so it really makes us balance both access and then quality and timely care beyond the initial access. So we really have to balance making sure people can get in, and then once they get in, they get the quality care they deserve. Um, and so that's the challenge. And so to date, um, so we define counselor uh, as generically as either someone who has a background as a counselor with a master's degree, uh, a clinical social worker with a master's degree, a psychologist at the doctoral level, 
Um, one of those general three um, who does initial screenings at outpatient therapy. And so if you define the counselor as that, we have today a 20 FTE equivalent. Uh, we've uh, recently have hired four additional. So by the end of uh, the semester, so by January 1st, 2019, we will have 24 full-time counselors. And then our funding then stretches out for an additional four. So our hope is by the end of the spring semester, we'll have successfully completed searches and have 28 full-time counselors. Now, in addition to that, we have a couple social workers to do clinical coordination. We have about four or five FTE psychiatry amongst eight or nine psychiatrists, some which are part-time. Um, we also have some healthcare assistants and nursing and, and um, nursing assistants and those type of things. And so um, we really do have to balance our resources. And a part of that is that we have a screening system where students can walk into our main location on the third floor of Olin at any time during business hours if they're in crisis, and they can walk in for more limited times from like 10 a.m. to like 4 p.m., so to speak, if it's not a crisis. And so the idea is that we want to be able to assist students the moment that they're ready and able to ask for help. And so we just we don't have an advanced access model. You don't have to call and schedule an appointment. You simply just walk in to enter into our system, which is a really easy thing to do. Um, and then once they come in, that's the first step is to offer them a tailored appointment. So right now when a student walks in, uh, they're given a paper form. Um, intentionally a paper. So in some ways you, you try to get away from paper and go with digital, but we are actually trying to start from square one when they walk in and not even assuming that they want clinical services. So we have a paper form which asks a series of questions such as, are you in crisis? Um, or is it that just that you have a concern that you want to just be screened for that you can discuss and potentially have some care and psychiatric counseling? Uh, another couple options that we include is you just want to talk with someone for 10 minutes about something that's not ongoing, like how to help manage a certain situation or to even talk if counseling is right for you. Um, and then we also have boxes where you can say that, hey, I want to talk to someone from the sexual assault program or the safe place domestic violence. I want to talk to one of them. So what happens is they come in, they fill out this paper form. And if they fill out one of these questions about like um, they don't really want services, they just want to talk to someone for 10 minutes. Um, we actually don't create a file. We don't transition that into uh, an online screening or to a digital screening that way. We just literally have someone like me who's a psychologist talk to them for, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes or half an hour. And a lot of times that's sufficient. It's about giving them some advice or connecting them with some things that they can do to help themselves. And these are for students who say, you know, I don't want to file. I don't want to come back. Can you just have a one-time conversation? And so in the past, uh, at the counseling center in a CAPS, you walked in, everyone completed our forms. You got a file, you became a client. But I really wanted to honor student autonomy. So that's for some of them. If they marked that they're in crisis, and then we developed specific assessment forms that they would get, which are shorter. It doesn't require them to sit in the waiting room as long. Um, and then they meet with someone for a longer period of time, for about 45 minutes on average, longer than our routine assessment. And it's more tailored towards safety and crisis stabilization. And we have several clinicians on any given day who are more specializing in crisis care that they would meet with specifically. Um, and if they mark that they have a routine or a more kind of standard mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, relationship concerns, substance use concerns, things like that, they would can complete our traditional forms, and then they would be matched. So we have someone who actually reads their forms, um, and then they match them um, to a clinician who they feel is best apt to actually help them. So it might be someone I request to work with some a therapist of this race or this ethnicity or this gender or this clinical background. We try to match them on screening already. Um, and then with the sexual assault and safe place, if they mark that, we actually have an office reserved in CAPS 
that they actually come to us and the student doesn't have to go to that second department and they can actually offer them services there ideally. And the, the purpose of this is to make sure when students come in, they're not treated like any other student. They're actually specifically screened, meeting with a specific person for a specific type of appointment based upon what that paper form says. Um, and then the, the, the other thing change we made recently was that there's a continuity of care expectations. When I interviewed here and when I first got here and I'm meeting with a lot of different students, what was really clear to me is that they don't want to tell their story to multiple people. They want to come in, say what's going on. They want to get help from that same person, not to feel like they're starting over. Um, so what we did is that we created a continuity of care expectation that because of all the tailored screening steps, when you got connected to a counselor, um, the expectation is that if you met the CAP scope of service requirement, we can talk about that in a little bit, um, that they would actually be treated by an a follow-up appointment with that counselor. So they were kept with them. So there was no more of, well, I don't know who I'm going to meet with or when I'm going to learn or is someone going to notify me, which is what used to happen. Now it's like, yep, at the end of the appointment, you're going to be meeting with me. Let's schedule the next appointment. A student will walk out and already know what's going on. And so the idea is to increase continuity of care, access, and tailored appointments. And so um, because every different counselor offers different services and there's different specialties, everyone's caseload is a little bit different. So when a parent calls us or they say, you know, why is there a two-week wait for the first appointment? I don't really know. Usually because it's so tailored, we don't, we, there's no such thing as a generic wait time. We really try to address each student's needs. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. And how much does this cost? Uh, it costs nothing for students. So I think that's the, that's the simple answer. That's not the real <laughs> truth. Um, it's free? It's free. Well, it's, there's no additional cost. Maybe mm -hmm. that's the best way of saying it. So our counseling services, our screening services, our crisis services, it doesn't cost anything. We don't want to put a barrier to care for that initial entry point. Um, and so I, I think this is, we are funded through general university funds and through a student health fee that's part of tuition. Um, the psychiatry services, however, I've learned have a history of the university subsidizes the first three psychiatric appointments as part of the student health fee that's part of tuition, and then sessions four through whatever they are required a student to pay um, out of pocket or to work with their insurance. Um, and so for situations in which students have a struggle figuring that out mid-treatment in psychiatry, we have a social worker who specializes in helping students with that issue. Great. So is this just for like undergrad students or does this also to apply like to faculty, staff, graduate students or what what can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So our eligibility criteria to to get initially into our services to be assessed for what's appropriate is eligible for all students, all 50,000 students. Um, and that includes undergraduate, graduate students, international students. If you're a student here and you're taking at least one credit in a degree granting program, you are eligible for services. Um the, um, additionally, the spouses um, um, are those who, who um, kind of legally are in unions with or married with uh, Michigan State students actually can opt into the student health insurance plan in which they can pay for um, and get access to services in Olin and psychiatry and in primary care, not in counseling at the moment because we're not, we're not paying at all, so we're not part of that. Um, and so spouses can, um, for any staff or faculty member, we have the EAP or the Employee Assistance Program in Linton Hall in North Campus, and they typically offer brief short-term outpatient counseling as well. So there are services for students, for the spouses of students, and for faculty and staff all in that North neighborhood area. Great. I just want to say really quick to all of our listeners, when we were talking about how you cater you know, to the 50,000 50, 19 students here at MSU, and you only have... Uh, about 24 counselors right now. Right. There was, and we talked about in our last podcast how, you know, the, there's like the media and 
there was a shooting with a student and he was doing like a noble cause and then we had like a visual and and then they were we were this some students needed closure and they had you know um um <clears throat> students needed closure and the counseling services were they I think they sent like four to five uh counselors to come and talk to the students and just be available for them and I just thought that was so great and so amazing so even when it's you know you guys are so busy with servicing all these students when there's a crisis the the services are there for the students and I just wanted to like commend you on that or the the whole unit because I know that you all work really hard I have a personal friend who's mm -hmm. uh, you know works there too and it's just amazing the work that you all do for mm -hmm. the population here at Mesillo. Yeah, thank you. I think that's one of the things that people may not realize is that the resources are pretty limited, but we try to, as a staff and through an administration within the staff, to take on personal responsibility for making up, you know, whatever difference we need in terms of the resources and trying to structure things in as efficient ways possible. And so, you know, one of the things that we, we've done um, is you know, since I've been here is, um, and that's one of the things when I came here, there wasn't an organizational chart for CAPS. It was a new idea and there was no director previously in a permanent role. So there was no org chart and I had all these new staff. And so it was a really fun experiment to really think about how do we, how do we best help students in a variety of ways? And, um, and so part of it is that we are the mental health emergency room for the university and we're also the outpatient therapy and we're also doing psychiatric care. And so it's very unique because, you know, if you went to the emergency room, if you had a crisis, you wouldn't expect to go back to the emergency room for a follow-up appointment. You would be referred to your primary care doctor, right? And if you go to your primary, you wouldn't be going to your primary care doctor's office for a crisis. You go to the emergency room, right? So, so in some ways, we're expected to provide um, crisis services without a moment's notice. We're supposed to do outpatient services and collaborate with psychiatry and do that with these resources, 50,000 people, right? Um, but one of the things that we've done within that is that we, I actually appointed one of our new um, social workers as both our suicide prevention and our critical incident response coordinator. And so critical incident response is essentially what you were alluding to, which is there's been some tragedy. There was a student suicide or a student shooting or death um, or some traumatic issue with uh, you know, a hurricane, and I know we don't get those in Michigan, but um, where our community needs healing, where people are being traumatized and shocked. And so we have a coordinator of that and a, and a dedicated team of, of folks at CAPS that without really a moment's notice, we activate ourselves and we go and talk to families and roommates and populations of our students that need to just talk about what's going on. And so we really are charged with doing a lot um, in a lot of different ways. Great. I was I was thinking about what we're talking about, and I don't know if you agree with me or not on this, but I think that there is a little bit of a stigma with trying to go get help at the counseling center. I don't know if it's because of the, of a culture or of pride, but I think sometimes students have trouble seeking help. Do you? I mean, is that something that you? I mean, that's what I I wonder is like why is it hard for people to go and ask for help when they need it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely is a, I, I think stigma of mental health concerns is really still very much alive in our society at large. If, if you think about someone says, oh, the, you know, uh, my coworker's not in today, they're out sick. What do we think? We think there's probably a medical reason, right? Where say, so, well, I took a mental health day, that's almost seen as like a joke. Like, uh, like yeah, I took a mental health day. But it's, but it's almost like this idea of if, it's, if you're going to be out of work it, to justify it, it better be a physical ailment, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think we also put in this idea that someone is either mentally stable or they're not. They're mentally ill or they're not. Uh, just like, I don't know about you, but I'm not in 100% perfect, perfect health. My left knee hurts a little bit and I probably have a pimple somewhere, I'm guessing, <laughs> and right? So it's like I'm not the perfect specimen of physical health. 
I'm not the perfect specimen of mental health either, but the idea of saying that feels like it's a risk. Like there's some vulnerability with acknowledging that you're not, you know, 100% mentally healthy. And so I think we all acknowledge that physical health exists on a continuum, but for some reason we still categorize mental health as either you have it or you don't. And so I think because of that stigma that's out in our society, it can really impact help-seeking behaviors. And what we know from research and from data within collegiate mental health, there are certain populations Populations which have a difficult time, ask more difficult time asking for help, um, especially men, um, certain racial and ethnic groups. Um, we also know that you know students in our LGBT community face two to three times more likelihood of experiencing certain diagnoses and symptoms because of the various forms of of stigma and, that they face with that identity. And so, um, so I think at large we live within a society that's still grappling with acknowledging mental health as being in parity the physical health. Um, at the same time, that stigma, I think, is going down to some degree because what we're seeing at the counseling um, side of CAPS at MSU and really nationally is just an absolute spike in utilization. So, for example, the Center for Collegiate Mental Health, which is actually out of Penn State where I used to work, um, collects data from you know a couple hundred university counseling centers around the country that ask students the same questionnaire that we ask here. And what happens is that what they've really shown is that in 2015, one of the reports, they showed a 40%, that's a 40% increase in the number of unique students asking for help in the last five years when enrollment only grew like 5%. So even though we live in the, the society where I think stigma is still there, I think students are more and more now asking for help. But, you know, some reports within CCMH and here is that about half of students that come in for counseling have actually already been in a th- been in counseling before in high school. So they're coming in with a history of getting help for mental health issues and it being more normal. Um, and just here, you know, I just ran the data in the last 10 weeks, of uh, the first 10 weeks of fall 2018 relative to fall 2007. Just in that one year, what, what we've been able to show is about a 25% increase in one year in utilization of where we were this time last year. Um, and so, you know, I think both are happening. There's still some stigma there, but more and more students are asking for help and it's becoming more normal. That's excellent. And I just, based on what you were thinking, I was out going through some statistics the other day um, and we're, it's like mental, it's mental health awareness week, right? And, and I saw that the numbers increased with students seeking, you know, mental health. But I was wondering, is like the number going up, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Like when, is it because, it's, but it's good that we're talking about it. So I, I guess the numbers make sense. Like it's a good thing that people are talking about it or does it mean that people have more problems? Yeah, I think what we're really trying to, I think what we're really trying to, what a lot of folks who have my job as a director of University Counseling Center are really trying to ask is, what is the need? Like sometimes we talk about the capacity that a center has that you alluded to with their staffing numbers. That, the capacity is what we can offer. Um, the utilization is the change in requests. But none of that actually gets at what is the real need? Like how many of our 50,000 students are walking around with a diagnosable mental health condition? Are mental health concerns that are impairing them are debilitating, or impairing academic, uh, or personal or social functioning, or just bothers them to a degree that that if they got help, they would be living a better life at that moment. Um, that's a really hard. You know, I think one of the ways that we um, we try to look at that is actually look at some private schools because private schools, if you look at utilization rates, the average private school has a utilization rate of somewhere between twenty-five to forty percent of its student body goes into its counseling center in a given year. At, at, at places like here at MSU and other Big Ten schools, ten percent is kind of a normal. Nationally, is about twelve percent, um, and so we would expect the Michigan State about ten percent to come in. Um, 
but there's there's kind of this, this number flowing around through some conversations like this with other leaders in the field of saying that the need is about 40 percent. That there's some data that shows about 25% of students might have a diagnosis, but there's probably about another 15% that at any given moment could benefit from counseling. And so there's this idea that you know almost one in two, one in, you know one in three students at any given time could probably benefit from coming in, but yet only a tenth of students in a campus does. And so um, you know it's really hard to know what that's about. I, I think I think we we tend to it takes a lot. Usually when someone comes in, it wasn't like well I was doing perfectly well until yesterday. And then today I start having a mental health concern. Uh, that's almost never what we see. It usually takes people a period of time to ask for help. Usually they try to help themselves. They try to let it go. They try to utilize resources. They'll go to friends. They'll go to trusted people to try a few ideas. And then it may get better and then it gets worse. And so usually we see someone generally a little bit longer in their journey. Thank you. I was I was thinking, I know that you guys might be busy all like throughout the year, but when do you feel like students when you see the most students or when like students need the most help? Is there a reason why the mental, the mental health awareness week is like this week versus like any other time in the year? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, I think the Mental Health Awareness Week that is done by the undergraduate student body at SAMSU, it actually, this time last year, I think was in the spring. And actually it was here when I was interviewed in the spring. So they made it in the fall this year. So um, what I can tell you is that there are two times during the academic year where mental health needs, um, where people, well, I'll put it this way, people are requesting or are open to services more at a given time, and it's usually because there's more stressors. Um, but if you look, if you just ran, run a report, which I actually have, if you look at the utilization and number of appointments that we've offered in the last calendar year, and I actually ran for the past three years, every year it's October. October is the spike of the total number of unique students that come in and the total number of services that we provide to peak every year is, is um, in October with very similar numbers in September and November. And so this kind of fall peak, and it makes sense, right? Because there's no fall break. You know, students have been going to school here since, you know, beginning of August. And it's just, you know, it's right to that point where they get the break here next week, right? When it's coming up to Thanksgiving break in a couple of days. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a long time to go with all that pressure and stress. And then the other peak that we find is in February, um, which is a little bit earlier in the semester than what October is, right? So, because um, it would be September if, if that same trend. So it's a, it seems like a month earlier in the spring because it's only about a, the second month in the semester. But that is actually not surprising to me because that is actually the time of year where suicide rates are the highest. People think it's around the holidays. It's actually not. It's after the holidays because if you think about it, um, you know, it's, it, it usually is colder out, especially here in the north. It's darker for more hours, um, you know, after the holiday break. Um, people might have seen people in their family that they haven't seen for a year. There might be some difficult conversations. There might have been some disappointments. Uh, there might be some credit card bills. Um, you know, that during that time of year, people might have um, not taken care of their personal health and eaten some things. Mark, um, you're like psychoanalyzing me right now. <laughs> I think it's so true what you're saying, though. That does make sense, especially, I think, in October and because of midterms. And I'm from Texas, and I'm used mm. to the sun. And you're actually, you know, it starts to get dark. And I'm like, oh, my God, the day ends so quickly. And yes. I'm a graduate student. So I, it's so, I mean, that's so true. And I think a lot of other students feel that way, especially, you know, maybe international students when they have to stay here and not be able to go home and they have to wait till like December. So all of that, I mean, that's absolutely, that's great. That's, I mean, that's so, I mean, I'm sure it's not like eventually after data and all of that, we, you've learned that. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, so it's so good that we do that. I wonder if it would benefit to have like two mental health awareness weeks, like one in the fall and one in the spring. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. So one of the things that I've tried to do since I've 
um, come here is to put together what we call a student mental health coalition. So when I interviewed here in my first couple of months, I've learned there's like more than a dozen student groups here that are focused on mental health awareness and advocacy. So I actually pulled them all together in September and then again recently, earlier this month, um, and basically said, like, do y'all want to work together? Do we want to coalesce voices, do some programming together? Um, and so there's actually a group that's called You Matter, which is kind of this awareness week that has been done in high schools. And I think they're going to do that in the spring right around the time that I mentioned because I shared this with them recently. And there is no awareness weeks at this moment on the schedule. So I think we're going to try to do something um, ideally around February for suicide prevention awareness and mental health awareness. Yep. Great. Why is it important to seek this type of help? Like, why is it important to take advantage of these services that MSU has to offer? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of ways to answer that. The first thing I think about is, um, like, well, if you buy a car, like, you probably should take care of it, right? Like, you invest in a new car or whatever car you have. You probably need to get the oil changed. You probably need to get the salt off it so it doesn't rust. So it's like, in some ways, like, why come to college, invest in yourself, invest in a degree and not take care of yourself along the way. So I think part of it is that we have to just take care of ourselves um, in general. And then also, um, you know, if you're investing all this time in college and there's you want to be able to, to stay here, you want to be able to graduate, to get good grades, to be successful, ideally you need to be able to be in a position to optimally do that. And so um, I think it's a way that really, I mean, I've, the reason I think why CAPS exists in Michigan State is that it's really part of the mission of the university, which is academic success and excellence, right? And being able to have capacity to engage in these experiences. And if you're not taking care of yourself, um, that's a problem. You know, the draw, if you look at the attrition rates of why students report that they leave college, the number one reason is, is mental health related and stress and some personal reason like that. And so... Um, I think it's just it's it, it's a good it's it, it makes sense on a personal level on a health level it's a good business model um, and I just think we have to be able to, to to invest in ourselves just like we would tell people to exercise or eat healthy or to get an annual checkup you also need to take care of your mental health and well-being. Great. My last question for you is why do you do what you do? I mean, because you speak mm-hmm. so passionate about it and you sound so educated and thank you for you know answering the questions I'm, I'm i'm glad that i get to do these podcasts because i don't know everything about you know someone's industry or, or career so what what is so important for you why, why do you do what you do oh well, thank you for that question it's, it's personal for me so the first thing is that so i have tourette syndrome so i have i do tics i do grimaces and and, and kind of contract my muscles and body and <laughs> you may have heard a few coughs um during the during this podcast which is usually not ideal when you're recording something but that's a tick and so for, for me, you know, when you have Tourette's and you're doing tics and you're an adolescent boy, um, you learn very early on, um, you know, the impact of being different. You understand, um, you know, what it means when someone offers support and connects with you. And so I was able to receive some support. And as a result, ever since I was about 13 or 14, I've just been on a straight path to what, becoming a counselor. And um, and so I grew up pretty rural. I grew up in the uh, nearby State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State's at, but it's about 20 minutes away in the mountains and was not exposed to a lot early on. Um, and then I went to Penn State, and it was just like this this explosion of, of global exposure. And I think I really came into my own in college. And so I think there was a combination of those two things, understanding the power of connection, of counseling, of meaningful dialogue, and doing it in a public university where, you know, a kid like me who grew up in the backwoods 
um, you know, could actually go and thrive and, and succeed and interact with other people from around the world and get exposed. And so there's something about a public land-grant university. There's something about connecting. Um, and as I've gone throughout my career, um, I really have noticed that I've taken a responsibility for the entirety of the student body wherever I worked. I, I was actually always even more so interested in the students that never walk through our door. The students that walk through our door, I'm generally not that worried about because I'm trusting they're getting in, they're getting help. I'm worried about the students that don't come in. And so in an administrative role, you get to really think about how to help all 50,000 students. And so it really just combines all my passions and interests at this point. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you would like to include? Well, for the, the parents that are listening, the, the students that are listening, for those who have made it through the end of this <laughs> podcast, thank you for, for listening. And, and my hope today and my intent for coming on this show was just to be able to to be able to provide some information. And we just want you to know that we exist because we want you to come in. I mean, you might hear that, yes, we're busy. Yes, there's there, there might be a little bit longer time than what we'd all want, but we're here to help you and, and your student. And so we just really hope that you ask for help, knowing that there's there's willing and wanting professionals behind that door when you enter. Awesome. Thank you so much. I just want to remind everyone that if you go, you know, it, their location is in the Olin Health Center. They're on the third floor. Their website is caps, C-A-P-S dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. And as soon as you, like, re- look that up on Google, which I did, the online resources come up and they have tons of great resources and links of how you can get help. So the website seems very like user friendly, which I really liked and it's super easy to navigate. So make sure that you, you know, go check it out and um, go visit them at the counseling center. Like you said, during um, off during their work hours, you can stop by and you can get help or just have a conversation with somebody. That's great. And my on the homepage, there's a director's welcome and updates where I put updates about things we're doing. And my email address is on that. And always looking forward to hearing from parents or students. Awesome. Thank you very much.